Everybody awake? All right. Well, uh, let me just first say welcome to all of you here. You guys hear that? Uh, and also to those maybe joining online now or sometime in the future. Um, something I love about Church at Five is that every time I come up here, I feel like uh, I always see faces that I didn't see before uh, or didn't see last week. And uh, I feel like the last few weeks we've been growing and it's really encouraging. Uh, at the same time, it's uh, challenging when we're dealing with a topic that's a little bit heavier. Uh, and so uh, when we've kind of been building a foundation, so if you feel like, oh, why didn't he talk about this or that, uh, you can always go back, uh, check out some of the previous messages. Uh, so if you are just joining us, let me kind of just bring us a little bit up to speed here. So our kind of focus for the last four weeks or so has been the Holy Spirit. And specifically, this is kind of our third week looking at the gifts of the Spirit. So you maybe can see what I mean if you just walked in for the first time. Uh, and this began uh, four weeks ago or three weeks ago, technically, when Sam uh, talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is ideally, or kind of a, if you wanted to concentrate it, is to continue the ministry of Jesus through us. As we are changed, we then continue the ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus started. Uh, and that was meant to be the conclusion of our Back to the Roots series, which we started all the way back after summer. Uh, which has really been about building up our foundation, right? We want to make sure our roots are in deep when it comes to a foundation of our faith, right? And I thought from that, it's a good springboard to talk a little bit more, which we have uh, over the last three weeks, or this will be our third week, focusing on the gifts of the Spirit. And before we get into that anymore, I want to just re-emphasize something I have already in this series uh, because of questions that I got, and I just want to make sure there's no confusion. When we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, um, I want to emphasize right here at the beginning, when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, we have to understand it as something separate from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So, separate from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life when you belong to Christ, which is absolute for all of us. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives when we belong to Christ, Right? which a good list is the list given to us in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a good list to memorize, too, if you haven't already. Uh, and this is essentially the character of Jesus Christ himself. So when we come into relationship with Jesus through faith in Jesus Christ alone, the Holy Spirit dwells within us and begins to transform us into the image of Christ. That's basically the definition of sanctification. And he does this so that we can be a light, so that we can be a light in this world, and that we can represent Jesus Christ in all that we do, in all that we think, all that we say, all of our actions, so that the world can see our good deeds, how we live our life as Christ would live, as we're imitating Christ, so that God would be glorified. And that's only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is His work in us that empowers us to live to the glory of God. And this work continues all through our walk with the Lord until we are with Him. So I want to lay that foundation down. That is absolute for all believers. And it's something different. The gifts of the Spirit, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, this should be seen as distinct from that because it's something extra. It's a gift. It's a gift. And as a gift, it's going to look different in each of our lives. Not everybody has the same gifts, right? It's going to be, or as we read in uh, last week in 1 Corinthians, it says the Holy Spirit apportions these gifts as He wills. So He gives them out as He wills. Not everybody has all the gifts, right? It's going to look different in each of us. So it's different from sanctification. It's different from the fruit. You guys still with me? All right, some blank stairs. I don't know, maybe it was cold outside. Good. Now, on this topic of gifts of the Spirit, as mentioned already, I know there's going to be a lot of different backgrounds, especially in a room this size with this many people. And some of you are going to be really excited about it. Like, all right, we're finally talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm excited about it. Some of you maybe not. Uh, maybe you just don't really have an opinion of it. You've not really given any thought one way or the other. Don't really care one way or the other. Never thought about it much. Some of you, especially when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit that are maybe more misunderstood or sometimes... Uh, you know, weird, uh, maybe you're a bit weirded out 
by the gifts of the Spirit and what it can mean. And you get uncomfortable at some of the concepts that surround the gifts of the Spirit. Well, to be fair, some of it is a little bit weird. I'm with you on that. Grew up in that kind of background. Some of it can get a little bit weird. But this is where this comes from. This is why we're talking about this. Because I want to, and I want all of us, to submit ourselves to Scripture. That's our authority. And even though I'm sometimes challenged with some of these things, especially when it gets into the weirder ideas that can kind of be connected with it, that I believe can be dangerous, Paul tells us concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's why we're talking about it, that we wouldn't be uninformed. We wouldn't be afraid or want to push them away, but we also wouldn't be like overly excited and exaggerate them beyond what the Bible tells us to do. We want to look at them as they are. We want to understand them. So the gifts of the Spirit, and this is what I've, I've defined them throughout this. This is, comes from uh, uh, Wayne Grudem. Gives this, I'm kind of twist or kind of uh, working with what he, the definition he gives, and gave, made it a little bit tighter. Because we, there are these lists of uh, different gifts of the Spirit in the Bible, but really we can expand that beyond just those specific things. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not conclusive. Right? It's really any ability, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church and for the glory of God. Those are the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's serving, whether it's teaching and preaching, whether it's speaking in tongues or uh, prophecy. All of those fall into that category and all of the subcategories you can get from there. It's any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the church, it's the building up of the church, and used to the glory of God. Now, these supernatural, empowered gifts are given to us that we would best be equipped, be prepared, be readied, and also that we would better equip one another, right? A lot of the gifts are just really about encouraging, serving, leading one another, so that we would be better equipped and better equip each other for the work that we're called to do where we are. And that's important. When we're talking about this stuff, we're talking about, God, what can I be doing? How can I be using these gifts or the gifts that you would give me where I am, right? Where I am. My aim in this very short kind of overview of the gifts is to encourage us that the gifts are a tool God grants us by his grace to empower us for ministry. And my heart is to see us stepping into the fullness into the fullness that God has for us today here in this service. Now, within this framework, I've kind of picked out what I believe can be the more uninformed concepts and aspects of the gifts of the Spirit. And it's kind of, we, we, we can't talk about everything, so I'm kind of narrowing it down here. And so far, we've examined kind of some, an overview, pointing out, painting a little bit broad, uh, pointing out that all that for, again, not everybody has all the gifts, but everybody has gifts. Everybody who belongs to Christ has gifts of the Spirit, whether it's serving gifts or speaking gifts. I talked about how Peter kind of narrows down all the understandings of the gifts to those two categories, what you speak and what you do. Even that I think you could overlap and uh, obviously expand on. Uh, whatever it is, we should seek to understand the gift that God has given us. And I've asked you guys, Take time. Pray about it. God, what gifts have you given me? What gifts have you empowered in me that I can use to serve you? And if you don't know, then maybe talk to people that you trust that can maybe look at you and say, hey, man, you clearly have a gift of, of serving or encouraging or, or whatever it might be or teaching or whatever it might be. So ask, seek what your gifts might be. Understand them. And then we can ask God to increase our gifts. We can ask for more gifts. Paul tells us that we should eagerly desire these gifts so that we may better glorify him wherever he has placed us. That's the purpose in it. Last week, we focused on prophecy. Uh, Paul talks a lot about prophecy, and he always emphasizes it as a great gift and one of the greatest gifts and one that we should eagerly desire. And prophecy is also one of those that is very misunderstood I ended up preaching for an hour last week, so I'm not going to talk much more about that. You can uh, brave and try to listen to it online uh, if you haven't or weren't here last week. And as this will be the final week of this topic of the gifts of the Spirit, because next week is a worship night, which I'm excited about. 
Hope you guys do. Yeah. Wow. Really excited. It's a, it's a good transition. Gifts of the Spirit into a worship night. I think it'll work really well. Uh, and so I just want to emphasize, I know, I feel like I get this every week. Somebody comes up to me, hey, why didn't you talk about this? Or why didn't you talk about this? I'm like, I just preached an hour. I mean, like, how long do you want me to preach? I can preach for four hours. I know there's more to be said about this topic. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to go deeper, if you have questions, or you kind of are like well, I'm wrestling with something I say or whatever, come and talk to me. We can talk, we can meet up, we can meet during the week. I make time in my week for meetings. I also, my wife told me to say this just because she was like, you know, you can also tell people they can meet with you if they just want to, you know, talk about how good their week has been. So that's also okay. Like, hey, you know what? I had a really great week. I'm going to go and just have coffee with the pastor and bless him with the good, good things that have been happening to me this week. That's also okay. But I make time for meetings, so... Don't hesitate to ask. So now, of all the things that we could talk about here, I've decided to talk about speaking in tongues. It's already it's like the tensions are whispering to their neighbors. Oh, what, did, what did I just walk in on? Now, <laughs> I really wrestled with this. I, 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 was, I was down to like three topics, and I liked the other ones a lot better, but I really felt to my heart uh, leaning towards this one because it's the one I wanted to talk about the least. And uh, I think God was challenging me. Um, and so I want to talk just a little bit about speaking in tongues because I think it's one, uh, I think it's maybe one of the weirdest, if we're being honest. I think even we'll look at what Paul says about it. It can be weird. It can appear weird. It's very misunderstood and misused and misrepresented in a lot of culture, Christian cultures right now. And so I think it's a good one to talk about, and I hope to just bring a little bit of clarity. Uh, we won't get in so, so deep, but I uh, hope to bring some clarity to this very often misunderstood gift. And uh, after that, I do want to, we'll close out uh, with, close out this series really, and close out this sermon with just looking at being filled with the Spirit as a good kind of uh, closer uh, for the series and an important aspect when it looks, when we're looking at the gift. So, you guys ready? Still with me? All right, ready to dive in? All right, now everyone's going to start speaking in tongues. No, just kidding. Just, I'm looking at the faces. I can see different backgrounds depending on how you react to that uh, statement. Someone's like, someone's like about to stand up, and some of you are like about to like dunk under the chairs. All right, it's all right. I, I promise we won't, we won't get that weird, I hope. So gift of speaking in tongues. Now, why do we need to talk about this? Can't we just avoid it, some might say. Can we just put it over there? It's like, okay, if it's happening, it's happening. If it's not, it's not. Whatever. I don't really want to talk about it. This is the first time I've ever really preached on it, so I'm with you there. Uh, I've come from a background where I've seen this gift really taken to an extreme and chaotic understanding that goes, and non-biblical understanding that goes against what Paul tells us, uh, where people are just all shouting at once, and it's like, what is going on here? And so we want to look at what, uh, how to understand this better. Because I know for me, I would be, I'm one that would be tempted to just say, well, maybe we don't need to talk about that, which is maybe why God put it on my heart to talk about. And I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 and 40 says, My brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, and we talked about that last week, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Whew, there it is. Paul says it. But then he adds this in verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So we see this kind of colliding of understandings. I feel like people tend to go all the way to let's just, you know, ban it and forbid it or let's do it like just total crazy off the wall nuts. Uh, and But Paul brings these two things together and he's like the middle is actually where we should be. We shouldn't forbid it, but there should still be order. That's what we're going to talk about. Now the fact that Paul feels the need to say this at all encourages me. That he gets it. He has an understanding of the reality and maybe even the weirdness of this gift. That yes, might be a bit weird. Some people are going to see it weird. But it's still a gift of the Holy Spirit and should be seen as such. So don't forbid it. Yet at the same time, there should be order. There are guidelines to how this gift should be seen, especially within services. So what is speaking in tongues? Well, first of all, speaking in tongues, uh, when you look at it in the Greek, it's like, why did we settle on speaking in tongues? It's like what we call this as a gift of the Spirit. I don't know, because really, if you, it, you could translate it also just speaking in languages. Already sounds a little less weird, doesn't it? The gift of speaking in languages. 
that's really what we're talking about. And that's actually what, how it would have been understood uh, at the time, certainly in the Greek. It's tongues is just another word for languages. And that sounds good, right? I mean, the gift of languages. I mean, I'd love to just God be like, hey, here, you want to speak Japanese? Bam, gift of Japanese, and I'm completely fluent. The gift of speaking in languages. That's what it is. Of course, we can sharpen that definition a little bit more than that. Uh, this is Wayne Grudem again. He's kind of my go-to guy on this topic. Uh, speaking in, it's, sorry, here's, so here's the definition. Speaking in tongues is prayer or promise. So that could be anything that we're praying. And I think prayer is a, is a key word there because it's something that goes upward. It's something that goes up from us to God or promise, which is really any kind of speaking of promise or truth or scripture or anything that kind of uh, represents the truth of God. And it's spoken and I added sung. It could also be sung because Paul mentions singing as well in context of speaking in tongues. So let me read through that again to keep you guys on. Speaking in tongues is prayer or promise, spoken or sung in symbols not understood by the speaker. That's where it becomes a little bit more complicated. So I might be able to speak Japanese, but I still won't understand it. Not understood by the speaker. Now, two ways this will manifest uh, through a known language or an unknown language. So a known language or an unknown language. And I get this from the Bible. We have two, I'll, I'll give two examples. Uh, one of where we see a known language and the other of an unknown. So Acts, book of Acts, you guys got your Bibles, right? Book of Acts, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. This is, uh, so I'll read here. They, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is happening at Pentecost. If you don't know the story, it's where the Holy Spirit is being poured out. It was something that had, God had promised all the way back uh, in Old Testament. We see like Joel, like he will pour out his spirit on the earth. And here's this moment where the Holy Spirit is kind of just being basically given to the world. Uh, the helper that was promised has come being poured out on the disciples in that upper room. We can't even imagine just the, the presence of, of the Holy Spirit in that, in that moment. And they began to pray and they began to worship God. And as they did, they were speaking in language they didn't know. It wasn't a language that they understood. It was a different language, a foreign language to them. And as they did, those around them who could hear them, they did understand, right? In Acts 2 verse 11 and so here we see basically it's, a, it's people of, of different languages, different nationalities, and they're around. And we don't really get the impression that they're like the disciples are like running in the streets and just shouting at people. That's not the impression that we get. They were just, they were just doing their thing over here and people are like, oh, I know that language. That's my language. I don't know. If, I mean, we have a lot of internationals here. Uh, I know when I'm walking around Freiburg and I hear someone speaking English, my ears are like, bing, oh, yeah. I know that language, and I'm sure maybe you've experienced that, uh, especially if you have a language that's not as common as English. Uh, then you're like, really like, oh, wow. So that's what was happening. And then it says they, they respond to this. They say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So they, they're, they're hearing them just glorify God, praising God in languages that they didn't know. And interestingly, though, <laughs> this is the only example we see of the gift of tongues like this, where it's speaking in a language understood by other people, meaning an actual like cultural language spoken by a people group. But how cool is that? How cool is that? Imagine that you're just praying and then suddenly you're speaking in a language that's not yours. But maybe there's other people around you, other, maybe you're on a missions trip or whatever it is and the people around you hearing what you're saying understand and begin to glorify God because of what you're saying. How amazing is that? That's a pretty cool thing to have experienced. And I have heard of stories like this, um, and I've never experienced it personally, although I don't know, some of you are, maybe, I don't know how long all of you have been in, in uh, Freiburg or maybe uh, what your backgrounds are, but I moved here not knowing, I mean, I couldn't count to 10 in German. I didn't know a word of German. I felt very isolated, and I remember praying for, I was like, God, it'd be really cool if like, I could just speak German, just bam. No work required, just, that'd be great. Didn't happen that way. Uh, but I remember that early on, I, don't, I couldn't find him, I don't remember who it was, but there was a preacher I was reading about at the time, 
and he had come to Germany, and he was preaching, and he just was preaching, and he thought he was preaching in his own language, but the Germans who were listening were, they heard him preach in their language. And I was, felt, I was like, but that'd be great. I'd love, to, can I just preach and people just understand in their own language? No need for translators. Uh, so I, I do believe that these, these things, this kind, of, um, this kind of speaking in tongues does happen in special situations. It's not, some, we can ask for it, but it's, I don't think it's like uh, you can make it happen or anything like that. Uh, it's usually for a very specific purpose. So this type of manifestation of the gift of tongues, uh, I think we can, we can see the immediate purpose in it, though. You know, God being glorified, and it's a testimony of his might. And I would add to this, why do we see this maybe at Pentecost? Why, is, you know, why that? Um, I think there's a symbolic action I'm not going to get in too deep to right now, but I would just mention, I think there's a symbolic action of the Holy Spirit showing that the good news of the gospel was now for all people, right? That this, there was a transition happening right there in that moment as the Holy Spirit was being poured out. The Holy Spirit was not just for the Jews. And God was no longer a God of just the Israelites, symbolized in the one language of Hebrew. But salvation was available to all people of all languages, of all backgrounds, all those who would believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I think there's a bit of symbolic kind of nature to why the Holy Spirit did it that way in that moment. We won't unpack it any more than that, but I do think we can say there's clearly a purpose there. So that's one manifestation of the gift of tongues. It's a language not known to the person speaking, maybe, but a common language of the world. So the second type, this word starts getting weird, right? The second type of tongues is actually much, much more prevalent uh, when we read through the New Testament. When we read through 1 Corinthians, this is what he's depicting. He's not depicting that it's a language that was a known language, but an unknown language. Um, and even in 1 Corinthians 13, which I don't have here in my notes, uh, he even call, talks about like uh, tongues of angels and stuff. So it's not something, a worldly language. And this is where we actually, this is what we see much more often. So in this case, it's again, it's an unknown language. It's an unknown to us, but it is known to God. It is known to God. If it's speaking in tongues, if it's genuine speaking in tongues, it's an, a language known to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men. So you're not speaking to other people. You're not speaking to other, you know, other people at your level, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now here's where we really start to dive into it. Let me, let me explain what I think this is, what this is telling us here. Let me explain it like this. Let's take a step back. So first of all, we know if we believe what Scripture tells us and we believe in something beyond this life, that we are eternal in our, in our essence. There's something about us that lives on. Now we also know it's not this. My body will fade. My body will turn to dust. My body dies. But there's a part of me that I believe will live on. And that part of me is my spirit. It's our spirit. And the gift of speaking in tongues is the gift or the ability empowered by the Holy Spirit, usually spontaneously, to speak to God from your spirit. That's what we see when we read through this verse. To utter mysteries that our minds are not really permitted or certainly not able to understand. It's our spirit speaking to God. Now we can think of this maybe in relation to prophecy as a, to kind of compare and contrast there. So prophecy, as we talked about, is the spontaneous revelation given to us by God to encourage believers. So we can kind of think of this like it starts up there, it comes, he gives us something, and then we share it with others. We're speaking in tongues. It's the Holy Spirit who's dwelling within us, connecting with our spirit to pray to God, to bring glory to him, to lift up his name. This is what we see with tongues. It's more of a prayer. It's proclaiming of promises. In this sense, it's a powerful thing, and it's a good thing to ask God for. You know, we can come before him and say, God, if you, if you will, if it is your will, I would ask you to, to give me this gift as something to encourage me with. But I would also say I believe it requires great faith. 
When I understand what this text is saying, what the Bible teaches about this, I would say it requires great faith, maybe now more than it did then, to know that you're not just making up random words or speaking gibberish. As I have seen many times in churches that demand that you speak in tongues or make the claim that it is the sign that you have the Holy Spirit in you, where Paul says the exact opposite. He says, not everybody speaks in tongues. So you have to have a great faith that you're genuinely speaking to God from your spirit. And I would say, you know, if, if, if this is something that's like, ah, no, I don't, that's not, doesn't sound like it's for me, and, or you're unsure about it, or, I don't believe this is something you have to do. I don't believe this is something you have to do. I'm not saying that at all. I would not ever say that. The Bible doesn't say it. I'm not going to say it. It's not something you have to do. But I would say that if, if maybe if God is kind of tweaking something in your heart and you're like, you know what, I, that is something I would, be, I would want to ask for. Maybe it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask. The Bible is clear that not everybody's going to be given this gift, but some are. And what we see in Corinth, it would seem like a lot of them did. Too many. He's like, take it easy, guys. And this leads us then to two applications of this gift of tongues. When we're talking about, when I, when I say this aspect of it, I mean like, in the sense of it's a, a language that is not known to, uh, to man, right? So there's two applications of that that we see in Scripture. Number one, and I would say this is most important, I think this is what will be most prevalent, and I think where it's most fruitful, is as part of our personal prayer life. As part of our personal prayer life. Something God uses to encourage us, to build us up, to help us, to strengthen us uh, in the Holy Spirit. And some people are just going to be given that gift. They have a real, just a, a soft heart and a, and a connection to the Holy Spirit that's different than other people. And they're able to pray in, in the Spirit and just be encouraged and lifted up. Not everybody's going to have that gift. I've seen that people, I've seen people that have it, and I believe it. I'm, and I've seen it, and I believe that they had it. I don't. I've asked for it, didn't get it. I still can ask for it, but so far, not yet. And Paul tells us, that when we, when we do, when we, kind of, we are engaged in, engaged in this, uh, we will be built up when we pray in the Spirit. Um, this is why it's, there's a distinction here. So 1 Corinthians 14, let me read it. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. And he compares that to prophecy where we build up the church in, with prophecy, but with tongues, we're just, it's really you're building up yourself. And that's okay. It makes it a really unique gift, actually. It's a unique gift where the Holy Spirit is just praying through you, connecting to your spirit in a way that's powerful and unique. And this can often be in times maybe when, when, you, don't really, when you're not really, you don't really know what to pray. Some people like to tie this in with what it says in Romans about this kind of these uh, uh, groans of the heart uh, that you know, are kind of beyond words or whatever. It could be connected. He doesn't, really, he doesn't really mention anything about tongues specifically in that passage. Uh, but I do think we can definitely say that it's the Holy Spirit that's connecting to our hearts. And if you are praying, uh, you can be sure that it's something that is going to be glorifying of God. Uh, and it can be sometimes, I think, often very spontaneous uh, as we are maybe just praying and, and words start to come out. And I would say if you experience that and, and you are really open to it, I think it's good to just to test it to test it a little bit. Uh, you know, don't be afraid uh, to find out maybe what happens if you just kind of let some of those words come out. And, you know, not like, you know, I, I feel like we have to be really careful with this because, you know, I come from a background where they, they really like amp you up and they're like, you know, you, all right, you got to pray, you got to pray. Just, just come make up words until something and then the Holy Spirit will take over. And man, I don't think it, I don't think it really works like that in, in scripture. It will be something that it's, it, it starts to come out, and as you let those words come out, um, I believe you'll, you'll get a sense of encouragement. And it won't be like because you're, in, you're being amped up and kind of pushed to, you could just be alone in your room and, and just feel this kind of peace and encouragement. And that's a good sign that it's the Holy Spirit. And Paul assures us that we cannot speak against Jesus when the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so even if you're praying in a language that you don't understand, you could be sure that God is the one being glorified. But again, I would say, if you're unsure, if you're like, if it brings fear into your heart, it's nothing that you have to do. It's nothing that you have to do. It's a gift. 
Now, the second kind of application that we can kind of ask ourselves about is how does this then look in, uh, in church or around other believers? And I would say we can maybe ask, well, why don't we see it that often? And like, well, I've been to churches where they do it like they're just doing it constantly. Why don't we see it that often, I think, in general? Uh, well, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, all through that, he's going to both encourage this as a good thing, as a good gift, and something that we should seek, and that it's, it's something that, hey, if everybody gets that gift, cool, is kind of how we, I'm paraphrasing, how he says it. Uh, but when it comes to the assembly of believers, meaning a church service, a small group, a gathering of any kind, this particular gift should only be prevalent if there is also an understanding, meaning an interpretation of the tongues. That's what Paul tells us. Again, submitting to the scripture here. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Right? So he's, he's not going to forbid it. He's not going to forbid speaking in tongues. He's going to say, go ahead, you do that. Pray to the Lord from your spirit to him. But he is going to forbid speaking in tongues if no one knows what you're talking about, with the exceptions when, there are, uh, when there's someone there that has a gift of interpretation, which is a gift that we really know very little about. I think uh, somebody has the gift of interpretation or they don't. It's usually not always the same person that has the gift of speaking in tongues. Um, so that would be one exception, and the other would be that it's a common language. It's a language that is understood by other people. So, and the key there is understanding. So why don't we see this gift more? Well, I would say the question is, is speaking in tongues, even with interpretation, is it, is it really fruitful in our congregation? What is the fruit there? Does it help us to fulfill what God has called us to do right here, where we are in this ministry, in this city, in this culture? And I would say, well, right now, I don't know that I see it very fruitful. And maybe that se the seasons change. Maybe in a, an, a future season, we'll see it more prevalent or more fruitful. But I would say right now, I don't see it that fruitful. And Paul even makes this point, and this is why I would, I would this is where this thought comes from. It's 1 Corinthians 14. You can just keep your Bible open there. We're there for a while. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23 if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? That's Paul's words. He really takes off the gloves there. Are, they out of your, are you out of your mind? I mean, that's, that's, that's what he's kind of saying. What's the point then? The gift of the Spirit, the gifts, all the gifts of the Spirit, are always tools for ministry of the church. And one of the key elements of our ministry here is to be shining a light of truth into the city. I want that more than anything else. More than anything else, I want people to hear the truth. Why? Because it is the truth that sets them free. And they have to hear the truth. They have to understand the truth. They have to believe the truth. And if they walk in, and they think, wow, these people are nuts, and they never come in again, then they're not going to hear the truth. They're not going to receive the truth. They're not going to believe the truth and put their faith in Christ. And so I do not really see any benefits of this gift being overemphasized in services. And I've been to many churches where it is. Not a church you'd really want to bring your non-believing friends to. And that, to me, is not worth it. Now, again, maybe seasons change. Right now, that's how I see it in this season. And to this, I would say, speaking in tongues is a good thing. It's a good gift of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody's going to have the gift, but those who do certainly should use it, especially in their personal prayer life. And that includes praying and even singing, I would say. even in, And you can be in the congregation. You can be in church and, and be praying. You can be singing. But for you and your relationship with God, that you would be built up. And I'm encouraged by that. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Very humble man, Paul. <laughs> Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind 
in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. There it is. And that's really what I would rest in. Paul saw this gift as a wonderful connection between our spirit and God. It's a good thing, awesome. And it's good to desire it. It's good to ask God for it. But in our services, there is much greater benefit to five words than 10,000 in tongues. And that, to me, is, just says it all. So outside of our personal prayer life, if, if we're not aware of somebody that has that, if we're not absolutely positive that someone has the gift to interpret, then better not speak in tongues where others can hear in a sense of like out loud or yelling it or as some have done. And let me, I want to add to this. And this is going to be a bit of a transition. We're going to come a little bit out of speaking in tongues specifically, but uh, this verse really spoke to me. Verse uh, 15 of First Corinthians 14. What am I to do? Some of you might be asking that question right now. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. And to this, I want to add a bit of a side note here. Speaking in tongues will always be self-controlled. I want to speak about this because I know that there are a lot of very popular church ministries that I won't name from up here uh, that we don't get to shut down on YouTube. No, But there are a lot of popular ministries that def define this stuff as something that's out of control. But he's like, no, no, I'm going to use my, I'm going to speak with my spirit. I'm going to pray with my spirit. I'm going to sing with my spirit, but I'm also going to do it with my mind. He doesn't. You don't have to shut one off. And I would use, so at Pentecost, as an example, as the Holy Spirit is poured out and, they're being, and they begin to speak in tongues powerfully, Peter, and I'm, I'm just again, we can't even fathom the level of connection that they were experiencing as the Holy Spirit was literally being poured out through that room. Just if you've ever had an experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit and that kind of just overwhelming kind of sensation that can come with it, that times, you know, I don't know, a thousand at least. And yet, in the midst of that, Peter is able to stop and to preach the gospel to the people. He's able to stop and to preach the truth that they would hear the truth. And he preaches one of the greatest sermons I think we see in Scripture. And thousands come to faith. What if they were like, oh, no, we need to just let this, the, we don't want to ruin this atmosphere, man. Don't start preaching. Let's just keep on speaking. Let's just keep on. Man, then thousands of people wouldn't have come to Christ. It's not worth it. So you don't have to shut off your mind. You can speak and pray in the spirit and also have your mind available. You don't have to shut it off. And some people believe that the Holy Spirit takes over. I know we're drifting a bit from speaking in tongues, but this is really heavy on my heart to talk about. 1 Corinthians 14, you might have guessed, verse 32 through 33. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit is going to, is going to give somebody maybe a prophecy, is going to put that into them, but it's still subject to the person. They get to decide whether they speak it or not. It's subject to them for, in verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The Holy Spirit will never take control of you, whether it's prophecy or speaking in tongues or any other form of bodily control. And I want to use examples to be real because I've, I've come from this background, passing out in the spirit or laughing uncontrollably or uncontrolled movements or speaking without, with, I mean, like I've literally seen people where they like barking like dogs and that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. It might be the work of spirits, but it's a demonic counterfeit. It is not the work of the Holy Spirit as seen in Scripture. This is not what Paul is defining when he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul describes a service that is filled with the gifts of the Spirit. Man, this church, Corinth, was like, they, they had the gifts. And he, he defines it, as, still, he describes a service that, is, that should be orderly. 
where not everybody who feels like they just have to speak out or yell out something needs to do it. They can, even with prophecies, like if there's, if there's like more than two, two, maybe three, okay, but that's it. Same with tongues. And that's with interpretation. And let me just put it this way. This is why I'm absolutely against the whole concept of the, of the Holy Spirit taking over somebody. The Holy Spirit is what? I talked about this in the beginning. He produces something in us. What? The fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. That we are being made into the image of Christ. And what is the last one mentioned in Galatians? Anybody? Self-control. Thank you. Ten points. Self-control. So let me put it this way. How how could the Holy Spirit who gives us the fruit of self-control at the same time give us a gift that takes it away? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. And we need to be weary of people who talk about this or preach this or act like it's the norm when the Bible doesn't give us that as a reality when it comes to how the Holy Spirit works. The service itself should not be interrupted so that everyone can look at you which is sometimes what it really ends up being about. And I've seen services where they say things like, oh, the Spirit's interrupting. And I want to be clear. I've, I mean, I've mentioned this in prophecy. Like sometimes as I'm preaching, God maybe put something on my heart to add into my notes. And, and I've had situations where literally the day before, I had a sermon ready. The day of, God was like, no, I, we're going to do a prayer service today. So I'm not talking about, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit and, and things like that. Amen. I'm all for that. I want to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And His way is always going to be better than mine, and I'm always going to choose His over mine. All right? I want to be clear on that. But when they talk about the Spirit interrupting, and I've seen examples where... I was actually talking with, with someone this week. decided not to mention his name. I don't know if he doesn't... Maybe he doesn't want to be quoted here. Uh, and we're talking about, like, services where you've, we've seen where people are, like, trying to read scripture, and then someone starts laughing uncontrollably or, or yelling out. And it's like every time they went to go and read the text, someone else started getting up and yelling and screaming. They're like, oh, just the Holy Spirit must want to be inter- wants to interrupt our service. No, the Holy Spirit is never going to interrupt the speaking of the truth of God's word. Never. He will never do it. He will never do it because it's the most powerful thing in the world. It's the truth that sets people free. And the Holy Spirit will never, ever want to hinder the speaking of the truth for laughing. He's not going to stop the speaking of the truth, the proclaiming of the good news of the gospel. And we can, again, look at Peter as an example of that. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he stops and he speaks the gospel. The only one that does not want the truth to be spoken is the devil. He'll do anything he can to corrupt or to distort or to prevent the truth from being heard. So let me just say this. Use your head. It's a gift from the Lord. Your mind is a gift. It is not your enemy. I feel like when people go down these roads, it's like they're... What happened? How'd you get there? Use this. Use wisdom. Seek knowledge. Understand the word of God and apply it to your life in a realistic way as it defines it. Again, I, I, I'm all for being led by the Spirit. And, but you can be led with your spirit and your mind. They're both gifts. This is especially essential and vital when it comes to how we use the gifts of the Spirit. You could be given a genuine gift, and everyone in here who belongs to Christ has genuine gifts from the Spirit. But if you don't have wisdom or knowledge, or as I mentioned last week, if you don't have love, maybe seek those first. Grow in knowledge, grow in wisdom, grow in your love as you also grow in your gift. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't, I don't want, nor do I believe that I have like the gift of prophecy or tongues or healing or miracles or any of those, some of those others that we didn't have time to talk about, the miraculous gifts, if you will. You don't need those. 
You don't need those. Live in the gift that God has given you. Know it and own it. God wants you to know your gifts and to grow in your gifts and to use your gifts to build up the church. And let me tell you, a church without tongues or prophecy or miracles, but has sound teaching and godly leadership and people who have gifts of serving and encouraging and words of wisdom and knowledge and, and can do all of these things in love, that's an awesome church. That's a powerful church. That's a church that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowering people to go out into the world and be a light. And it's more important. So know your gift. Live in your gift. And live, live in it with, with an excitement to serve whatever your gift might be. So continue to stir up the spiritual gifts that God has given you. So first, find, seek to kind of see what they are in your life. Seek what gifts you could be asking for based off of where you are in your community and then stir them up. 2 Timothy 1 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. And he's talking about his gift, his spiritual gift. Timothy had a lot of spiritual gifts, certainly uh, leadership, teaching. And he's saying, fan into flame the gift of God. Rekindle it, fan into flame the gifts that God has given you. So when we don't, when we're, when we're not, when we're rejecting them, when we're not engaging in them, when we're not seeking them, or they begin to weaken in our life. And we be, they almost become non-existent, or we don't maybe recognize them as a gift. And when we recognize them as a gift, we can really step into, hey, it's not my strength. I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to lead. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve the back after service, or to lead worship, or whatever it might be. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. Man, that's something you can really step into rather than, well, I guess I could, you know, play some chords or something. I mean, it's like, geez, step into your gift, man. You got a gift. Use it. There's a big difference. So don't, so fan into flame the gift that God has given you. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have. Don't neglect it. Use it. Grow in it. Utilize it. And I want to just close out this also long sermon. I'm, so, I'm sorry, but just get excited. What practical ways can you fan the flames and grow in your gifts? I would say there's nothing more important than learning to be filled with the Spirit. Learning to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And hereafter, he's going to give us a bit of how that can look practically. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want us to walk strongly in the gifts of the Spirit that God has given each and every one of us, and we should learn to seek to be filled with the Spirit. What is being filled with the Spirit? Some of you might be asking. I love this image. I can't remember where I read it. Um, I've, used, I've heard it several times, but I don't remember who originally said it. I really like it. Uh, when we live with Christ and we have the Holy Spirit within us, there's this image of walking like a child walking with their father, right? Hand in hand. If, you know, your father's big. You can imagine like a, you're a, a small child. I have three small children, so I can really see this in my head. And you're walking, and the father is holding the child's hand, and you go step by step, keeping them secure, holding on to them. And then every now and then, he leans down on one knee, picks up that child, spins them around, hugs them tightly, tells them how much he loves them, kisses them on the cheek, sets them down, and then they keep walking. This, to me, is a beautiful image of being filled with the Spirit. It's this special filling, this special moment where we feel so connected and safe and secure and sure in our salvation and sure in our faith and sure in who we are in Christ because the Holy Spirit just has His arms wrapped tightly around us. 
And it's this wonderful, beautiful moment and this beautiful experience, and it gives you strength to keep going. I have kids, and I do that sometimes. And when I do, you put them down, they got a little bit of a, a skip, and they're a little more excited to keep going. You know, you do a long walk, you got to do that every now and then. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does that for us. Every, time, every now and then, we need a little bit of extra strength, and He gives it to us. And here in Ephesians, He tells us how to do it. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that look like? What does that sound like to you? Anybody? It sounds like what church should be. It sounds like what church should be. There's no greater place. And I know like there's this idea like, hey, if I want to be filled with the Spirit, I got to go on like, you know, a 15-day hike into the Alps and, you know, with nothing but the clothes on my back and just like, no. You might lose your mind out there, but how can we be filled? This. Coming together, singing together, as we'll do in a moment, make room for the Holy Spirit. This is how we do it. So I want to encourage you with this. I'll invite the band to come up so I can try to speed up my closing here. I want you to come each week to this service or a service where if, this, if you're just visiting us, go to the service praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come ready to connect with one another as believers, singing together, praising together, giving thanks to God together, submitting to one another out of our love and reverence for Christ. Do this. And when you come each week with that heart, I promise you, you will be filled. You'll experience that lifting up, that arms wrapped around you moment. And why? Not just so you can feel good about yourself, but that you can then be poured out using the gifts that God has given you through the, or the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been placed within you to their utmost throughout your week. And then when Sunday comes again, you can just be filled up again and ready to be poured out again. Come excited. Come ready. And I hope that today you have been filled. And that your heart is ready to use the gifts that God has given you throughout your coming week. For you, for the growth of our church and our community, and to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, to you that you would fill us now, fill us, fill us for the week ahead. Lord, may we experience you right now in a real way that we would sense your arms wrapped around us, embracing us and loving us and giving us that sense of security that we know who we are in you. Lord, that we would be encouraged to step into our gifts and live them out faithfully in the week ahead. And next week, we can come ready to be filled again. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you now to stand as we worship.